At the beginning of each term, we publish a program, and um, we kind of, I mentioned it as a possibility last week, but we've decided to scrap the evening service themes and just stick with, for a bit, not quite sure how long, uh, this life of worship theme. Um, so this evening, I'm going to talk for a bit, but I'm going to get you to do some of the work as well uh, on the idea of uh, worship in work. Um, so, I'm going to get you guys to start off first of all. Can you just turn to someone behind you, in front of you, beside you, whatever, and just tell them the worst job that you have done? Go. Go on. Turn around and uh, cast your eyes around you, make sure that no one's been left out. The worst job you have done. Brilliant. Right, shout out a couple of, a couple of headlines for me. Uh, so I know what you've been talking about. Some things from over here. What have you been talking about? Worst job? Factory work. Selling ice cream. Landscape gardening. Some people love landscape gardening. Someone's worst job is someone else's best job. What else over here? Being bossed around in a pub. Okay. Uh, I think my worst ever job is very, very similar to Joe's, um, and uh, I also I think my worst job was a telesales job. And I, but you lasted two weeks. I was selling charity raffle tickets as well, and I and I give this I give this description of what I had to do uh, just as it is because this is this was the training I had. Uh, and these were only two, these were 25 quid rather than your 200. The instructions were, we find it works really well if you start with P for Patel and tell them that their brother's just bought some. I couldn't do that. <laughs> so I left at lunchtime. Um, anyway, it's just awful. Uh, I've done quite a few awful jobs, actually. But anyway, that was just, that was just one of them. Um, I have had this great re uh, revelation, having read an article, I think, in The Guardian, uh, that I am soon to be 47.2 years old. Uh, that's kind of later in the year. 47.2 is the point where, according to a survey of American males, the kind of midlife depression begins to cease and your motivation picks up again and uh, everything after 47.2 kind of generally starts to improve. Uh, so if you're only in your 30s and you're a man, I'm really sorry. Uh, if you're kind of, if you've just gone beyond that, come on, we can do this. It's going to be all right. Um, in this job, uh, the whole vicar thing, I, I end up doing... Uh, you know, as you would expect, quite a few funerals. And at the end of the funeral service, uh, uh, you know, most of the rest of the time in the vicar thing, I'm, I'm kind of off script. But for weddings and funerals, I'm kind of mostly on script. So, frankly, save me saying anything stupid, because it's not the time to do it. Um, towards the end of the service, there is this, what is quite frankly, harsh but beautiful thing that is read. And it goes like this. And I have to look everyone in the eye. And I say, our days are like the grass. 
We flourish like a flower in the field. When the wind goes over it, it is gone and its place will know it no more. There's a harshness about taking a service like that where actually we have to come to realize that we are actually saying farewell to the person. And as we stand here, as I stand here, we have a finite amount of time. And we're not just to while it away, waiting until we get to heaven or pleasing ourselves It's not supposed to be centered on us. We're supposed to be a blessing to others, to be fruitful. And we've got this co-mission to go and make disciples. If that shorthand doesn't make sense, please go and catch up with the website stuff. And we're going to come back to that at the end of this talk. Um, If you are living in Baines, then you have, uh, and you're a male, your life expectancy is 81.3 years. I mean, it's not like an exact thing. So don't, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's a general thing. So don't get worried if you're getting near that. It's, it's okay. Um, uh, if you're female and you're living in Baines, it's 84.7 years old. But the really interesting bit is if you check this out on the bus routes, um, the number by us, by bus route, your life expectancy if you're a male, is 84.4. It goes up if you live in Western. But we all get a finite amount of time. Here's the thing. What are you going to do with that time? I, I crunched some numbers um, this afternoon. I am not either a mathematician or a statistician, so these are all horribly wrong. i just say that up front. And you could all do much better. But, uh, but we'll, we'll spend, you know, roughly eight hours a day sleeping. You know, if you include education and retirement, about eight hours a day working, about an hour a day traveling to work, if you've only got a like half an hour commute each way and then doing a bit of other traveling as well. That leaves kind of uh, a little bit of time for the other stuff, but not very much. Let me give you the hours, um, just because it is, uh, the, the numbers are good, quite frankly. Um, you will spend, if you make it to 84.1, if that was the number, wasn't it? If you make it, you'll spend just over a quarter of a million hours sleeping. Yes! Some of you are cheering. Uh, and some of us will spend a quarter of a million hours hoping we were sleeping. Um, a quarter of a million hours in work, 31,000 hours traveling, uh, 95,000 hours on life administration. Eating, brushing your teeth, paying the bill. I mean, this is a complete generalization. Um, About 108,000 hours over your lifetime doing all the other stuff that you might enjoy doing or being a blessing, you know, buying birthday presents for other people, playing golf. If you attended for the whole of your life, If you attended church for four hours a week, you know, it's a bit on a Sunday, serving a little bit and going to a home group. Four hours a week. Some of you are like less than that. Some of you are like, four hours? I'm like, ten times. No, anyway. Um, You're all good. It would still only be 18,000 hours over the course of your lifetime. And a little bit of that time in church is spent in this thing that we call worship. 
So, my question, what do you do? Uh, some of you are retired. Some of you are retired. That's good. Uh, business director, uh, pastoral care teacher, a couple of teachers, glass blower, mental health nurse, working in a school, granny, cleaner, staying put, I like that one, play bingo, badminton, and something else, uh, walking, what's this bit? Landscape, yeah, landscaping, someone liked that and someone else didn't, a piano learner, a midwife, an analyst, uh, a wise woman, excellent, someone who, what do you do, medal, <laughs> don't come and tell me after if that was you, golf, I put that one on, I was just trying to encourage you, um, uh, granny dates, granny, granny dates, oh, granny duties, I thought it was like, whole granny dates thing, I think it's a, this, is, this sounds good. Hey, there's a thing. Let's start a dating website called Granny Dates. I just said that first, by the way. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> you know, we do all this stuff. Some of, it is, some of it has kind of got labels on it, hasn't it? You know, and the labels are fine until we get made redundant or until we retire. The labels are fine until actually we hate the job that we're doing. The labels are fine until we long to do something else. Actually, who we are is not defined by what we do. But some of the things on this life, on this little kind of board, some of them are maybe a bit nearer on who we are rather than what we do. The thing is, is that if, if we're supposed to be learning about worship and we're only spending, you know, 2% of the entirety in our, of our life in this thing called church with a little bit of, this, of that time in this thing called worship, what about the rest of our lives? What about, what about our whole life as an act of worship? Part of the problem with this is to do with our perception of church. You see, because our perception of church is also a perception of the rest of our lives. If your perception of church is of a petrol station, you've got completely exhausted during the week from doing all the stuff that you've been doing, busy, busy, working, working, looking for after other people, looking after the other people's kids or whatever it might be, and you come to church and the idea is when you come for this hour and a bit on a Sunday, you're going to get filled and restored to do the whole of the rest of that stuff so you can go through the cycle again. You know, if that's the view of church, well, it might not be that fruitful. It is a picture of church. If your picture of church is of a hospital, you know, frankly, I'm messed up. Uh, and we are, we're broken people. You know, and we come to church to meet with God and, and to receive His Holy Spirit and to get healed and, and fixed and sorted. You know, that, that is also true, but, but again, it's only one picture of church. It's only one picture of what it means to be a Christian community. If your picture of church is, well, well I'll, I'll come because then I will know what I'm supposed to do next week. I'll be able to get from here to here and everything will be all right. Well, that's also true, but, but again, it's not the whole picture. If your picture of church is, is this kind of like a classroom, you know, someone at the front 
who knows an awful lot. I'm sorry you got me instead. Um, you know, will come and teach you amazing things. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, we are here to learn and we're here to grow. But, but you know what? Actually, we're all supposed to be doing that. All of us. All learning, all growing. Actually, the key metaphor is that we're the body of Christ. We are a family, a body, meeting together with Jesus, who is the head of the church. And as we do that, we celebrate, we worship, we encourage one another, we look up. We get relationship and we get revelation. See, the model of what is in your head about church also affects all of this stuff. It affects all of this stuff. Now, I don't want to kind of let you off the hook on the work thing. And by work, I don't just mean the paid thing. What I mean is kind of basically all the stuff that you do that's not sleeping. I mean, it's, you know, whether it's paid or not, whether it's in education or whether it's in retirement or whether you're looking for a job or whether you're off long-term sick, it's all of that stuff. Why do I call it all of that stuff? Well, I call it all of that stuff because... You know, I think that work is God's idea. In Genesis, the idea of work kicks in before everything gets messed up. Before things go, things go wrong, God puts the man in the garden. And he says that he's to work it and to take care of it. Or to serve it and to take care of it. You know, this is actually part of who we are, is to be the kind of people that work at stuff. Whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's in retirement or education, or whether it's resting up and getting well, it's all work. And it pre-exists the mess of this world, and, and I'm pretty sure that it'll still be in heaven. Because it's part of how God has made us to be. In Romans chapter 12, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and, mercy, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, we, we press in. When we sing together. And it is an amazing time. And I, uh, my expectation is through the roof as to what God is going to do. And I hope that yours is. Because my expectation is that as we declare the truth of who he is. That we see him more clearly and we meet with him. In person. I hope that's your expectation. But you know that that's, that, that's singing which is wonderful, it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's the quarter of the 2%. Our worship is all of the rest of it. The whole of our lives for Him. The whole of our bodies offered as a living sacrifice that is pleasing to God. I phrased 
this question, what do you do, quite deliberately. And, you know, I, I then had to go and doctor it slightly because, you know, some of you put on things that were nothing to do with jobs. And I did want some job things up here. Uh, so I did have to go and write some in to encourage the group think. Um, but I phrased it from this verse in Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 3, and it's verse 23, but let me read it from verse 22. It's this passage on how households are supposed to behave. And it takes this ancient world idea of work, slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And here's the verse. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It's the verse, I missed a slide. I'll leave it up there so you can read it. This is a hard thing for us to do. It's a hard thing for us to do if you feel like the connection between the thing that you spend the most of your time doing doesn't have some kind of holy, godly connotation. How are you supposed to make that connection back in? I think that this is what he is asking of us. That our lives are supposed to sing with his story. Our lives are supposed to be a song of worship to him. So whether, that, whether you have been hospitalized or whether you are working in some senior position in London or whether you're on the shop floor, whatever it might be, that that is supposed to be a song for the living God. Whether you can connect it directly with something that feels like being a blessing to another human being. And there are a whole bunch of professions that are easier to do that with. You know, if you're a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or a social worker, you know, it's kind of easy, to, easier, <laughs> not easy, easier to go, oh, there's purpose in this. But what about if you're, if, what about if you're an actuary? I had to look that up, Louis. You know, what about, what about if you're just the person that measures risk for insurance? Where's the godly value in that? Well, there must be some, because whatever you do, you're supposed to do it for him. The whole lot. And if you're pushing paper around, paper around or whether you're cleaning up after someone else, it's all supposed to be for him. It's all supposed to be for him. One of my other really tough jobs, I had about five years of doing all sorts of, all sorts of jobs where I was trying to figure out 
figuring out what on earth God was saying. And a whole bunch of them were, were, were in warehouses in Kent, kind of trying to, trying to do all sorts of other work at the same time. But, but one of them um, was going and working in the Safeways freezer on the night shift. Massive, beyond imagining size freezer. And, and as I was the new boy, they put me at night alone on receive the empty metal crates that come off the back of the van, unpack them so that they can be filled with stuff again, and push them onto the next person that will fill them with stuff. And I arrived at about 10 o'clock in the evening. Lord, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> you know, how do you worship in that context? How do you do that for God's glory? But I think that's what he's asking of us. In every moment, not just to be witnesses, not just to be sharing faith, but all of that set apart for him. There are some times where, although it's messy, it's kind of almost easier to make the connection. In Torquay, in my last job at one stage, and I have told this story before, but it's one that resonates. We had a whole bunch of folks uh, sleeping rough around the church, and we had this really difficult season where it went from just one or two people to a, a whole group of folks. And there was a number of, a number of men and women there who... Uh, who were long-term heroin addicts um, and dealing and doing a whole bunch of things that come with that around the back of the church. And so I would go and clean up the needles. And I would go and clean up uh, their waste because the council had shut the public toilets. And I was, it was kind of breaking me up. And then I was doing it one day and I, I just felt this song coming. <laughs> and I'm cleaning up this. I was doing the same that I was doing the day before. But now I was worshipping. Now that really unimaginably horrible thing had become this place that was just full of God's glory. And actually, in a strange kind of way, I looked forward to going and doing it. Because it'd be like, here is where I truly get to worship in the midst of the stuff. What about you? What are the things that you do? Those places where you go, the thing that occupies most of your time, whether it's paid or not. And how are you going to give this over to the living God? Because folks, if, if worship is just a bit of the 2%, that's not it. This is supposed to be the overflow that flows into everything else that we do. Does that make sense? Simple idea. But you know, Paul... Paul encourages us to press in, to press on, to pursue the things of God. So some of this stuff, although he has won it for us, we need to press 
into. One of the other pictures uh, that we had when we were praying was of uh, one of those kind of uh, computer cubicles where you kind of get locked into this thing to do your to do your data processing or whatever it might be. And this picture of this cubicle being filled with light and music and the glory of God because it had been set to, it had been dedicated to the King of Kings. What do you do? Is it for the glory of God? How could it be for the glory of God, whatever it might be? What I'd love us to do is to press in and worship together in song, but to take these things that I've talked about. And it might be that as we're, as we're doing that, as we're singing together, that actually you're beginning a conversation with the Holy Spirit. That you're asking him, saying, Lord, show me what it looks like to worship you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Show me what that looks like. Show me what it looks like to worship you when the kids wake me up at three o'clock in the morning and don't go back to sleep again until seven. No, you don't do that anymore, but you used to. (laughs) A long time ago. You know, it's for all of us, isn't it? So I'd love us as we worship, uh, are we coming back up guys? Um, I'd love us as we worship in song together to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And and as we come to the end of our time together, what we're going to do is we are going to pray, I don't quite know how yet, but we're going to pray for as many of you as possible and we're going to commission you to recommission you in whatever it is that you do, okay? And if what you do is being at home, and staying put, then we're going to commission you for that, okay? And if it's some kind of high flyer, we're going to commission you for that. If you're currently unemployed and trying to figure out what's next, we're going to commission you for that, that even in that bit, that you'd worship, yeah? So folks, come on, let's stand. And let's, let's, let's use this time and this space to offer ourselves completely to him to offer ourselves as living sacrifices again Lord as we worship now come and move amongst us by your Holy Spirit come and teach us how to worship in song but Lord teach us how to worship in the whole of our lives Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Amen.